voyage does by no means correspond with it now. No nation will ever contend for the honour of the discovery of Easter Island, as there is hardly an island in this sea which affords less refreshments and conveniences for shipping than it does. Nature has hardly provided it with anything fit for man to eat or drink, and the natives are but few and plant no more than sufficient for themselves. If Cook's account is to be believed, the population size of Easter Island also seems to have taken a serious hit. The inhabitants of this isle, from what we have been able to see of them, do not exceed six or seven hundred souls. And there's another significant detail too. Cook noted that the islanders now carried weapons when approaching foreign visitors. Their arms are wooden patapatows and clubs, very much like those of New Zealand, and spears about six or eight feet long, which are pointed at one end with pieces of black flint. But the final tragic detail is that in the four years since the Spanish expedition, virtually all of the standing moai on the island had been toppled over. On the east side, near the sea, they met with three platforms of stonework, or rather the ruins of them. On each had stood four of those large statues, but they were all fallen down. All except one were broken by the fall or in some measure defaced. The practice of statue toppling is called Huri Moao in the Rapa Nui language, and it continued into the 1830s. By 1838, every single coastal Moai had been taken down. Now the only standing statues were those abandoned on the slopes below the quarry at Ranoraraku. So what happened to make the islanders start to carry weapons? What caused their population to reduce so heavily? And what made them turn so dramatically against their gods? Well, the answer to that may lie in the very event that opened this episode, and which we've returned to a number of times. That's the arrival of three Dutch sails on the horizon on Easter Day, 1722. At the sight of the enormous ships dropping anchor some way off the coast, the Easter Islanders gathered on the shore in astonishment. They must have felt how we would feel if a vast alien spaceship were to one day materialise over one of our cities. It must have been a mix of fear and wonder, a sense that the world would never quite be the same again. They selected one of their number, who must have been the bravest of them all. It's not unlikely, I think, that he would have been the winner of the most recent Birdman competition, the island's champion and protector. This man got in his canoe and rowed out to meet the strange vessels, whose white sails must have looked brilliant and dazzling in the sunlight. Perhaps he wouldn't have immediately realised how large they were until he got up close and their prows began to loom over his small canoe. When he approached, he saw that there were men on board, and he waved to them. The Dutch officer, Carl Friedrich Behrens, wrote about this incredible encounter. During the morning, Captain Boomen brought an Easter Islander on board, together with his craft. 
this hapless creature seemed to be very glad to behold us, and showed the greatest wonder at the build of our ship. He took special notice of the tautness of our spars, the stoutness of our rigging and running gear, the sails, the guns, which he felt all over with minute attention and with everything else that he saw. When the image of his own features was displayed before him in a mirror, he started suddenly back and then looked towards the back of the glass apparently in the expectation of discovering there the cause of the apparition. After we had sufficiently beguiled ourselves with him, and he with us, we started him off again in his canoe towards the shore. But this light-hearted encounter conceals a dark truth about Rogovine's visit. In fact, when Rogovine and his men went ashore, their visit would turn to tragedy. It's clear from both accounts that the Europeans were nervous when they stepped ashore. They had heard stories of violent encounters with indigenous people, and it's worth noting that the novel Robinson Crusoe had been published only three years before, full of garish stories of cannibalism and murder. Despite their guns and cannons, it's clear that the islanders frightened them, and the natural curiosity and boldness of the Rapa Nui people seemed to make matters worse. When the Dutchmen got ashore, the islanders pressed around them, grabbing at their hats and clothes, and even touching the guns they carried. It's not clear which Dutchman shot first, but the situation quickly spiralled out of control. The Europeans fired into the unarmed crowd of islanders. Their guns were flintlock pistols and rifles that would have sent up puffs of smoke, and the cries of people shot would have rang out, with the smell of gunpowder filling the air. Behrens recounts what happened next as he recognised a familiar face among the murdered islanders. Many of them were shot at this juncture, and among the slain lay the man who had been with us before, at which we were much grieved. In order to obtain possession of the bodies, they congregated in great numbers, bringing with them presents of various kinds of fruits and vegetables, in order that we might the more readily surrender to them their slain. The consternation of these people was by no means abated. Even with their children's children in that place will, in times to come, be able to recount the story of it. We can assume that what Baron said is true. The story of this violent encounter must have reverberated through the history of the Rapa Nui people. It would have destabilised their ancient beliefs and rocked their very sense of the world around them. Remember that Behrens mentions that the islanders didn't have any weapons at this point, that they only prayed to their gods for protection. Now imagine what would happen to this belief system when visitors arrived from the sea, killed multiple islanders with what must have appeared to be magic weapons, and then when these visitors walked around the island, even approaching the statues, and then sailed away unharmed. When you think about this encounter through that lens, it becomes a lot clearer why the Rapa Nui might have lost faith in their ancestors. But the sad truth is that the European bullets were not the deadliest legacy they left behind. The true killer of the Rapa Nui would have been something much smaller. Invisible microbes, viruses and bacteria 
to which the islanders' immune systems had never been exposed. Europe has always been a crossroads between many different peoples, sometimes separated by hundreds or even thousands of miles. Europe's constant wars and exchange of trade spread localised diseases across the continent. And each year the Silk Road brought fresh shipments of disease from China and India, along with silks and spices. This all resulted in Europeans becoming immune to a large variety of diseases. But although the diseases didn't affect them, they could still carry them. And for populations that had not suffered the same exposure, these germs could be devastating. In pathology, this phenomenon is known as the virgin soil effect. It's not recorded what diseases may have been transmitted. In other parts of the uncontacted world, cholera, measles, diphtheria, and even the bubonic plague swept through populations. By even the lowest estimates, indigenous populations were reduced by 80% right across the Americas. Four out of every five people died, and it's likely that in the even more isolated environment of Easter Island, the effects could have been even more devastating. On other 